The Greg Proops Film Club convenes where we honor cinematic excellence. This time, we couldn't be more chuffed to be here at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival 2015 at the fabulous Egyptian Theater here on Hollywood Boulevard, located between the indigents and the mendicants and all those who go to all the douchey bars that line this fabulous street. The poorly themed bars where guys wear backward baseball caps and they might as well t-sh- wear t-shirts that say, I have roofies on them, as they patrol these streets up and down. Once again, we join here. Uh, this is my third year at the festival and final year. It was a terrible way for them to let me know right before the show. And I'm joking, of course. I've had the honor and privilege of introducing uh, the Bob Hope Bing Crosby Classic Road to Utopia and uh, last year, Bachelor Mother. Coincidentally, uh, Bachelor Mother was directed by Garson Kanan, who wrote tonight's picture uh, with his wife, the fabulous Ruth Gordon. Uh, tonight's picture is the 1949 stunning uh, comedy, and uh, as we used to say in the old days, Battle of the Sexes, uh, Adam's Rib, uh, directed by George Cukor and uh, starring uh, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Tom Yule, Gene Hagen, and the amazing uh, Judy Holliday. Uh, we're very much looking forward to that. Before we uh, talk about that, I wanted to talk about just coming to the festival for the last three years. Um, I'm, of course, sick with movies. And my theory has always been, if movies aren't better than life, why live? (laughs) Movies provide an ending. They have cinematography. Um, People rarely sneeze in movies. You know what I mean? No one ever shifts uncomfortably from leg to leg during a whole scene while you're talking to them in a movie. Um, that's the magic of cinema. And the magic of this festival, aside from so many things, is the opportunity to see not only a, a, a series of fabulous films, but to get up close and personal with tremendous stars whose contribution to cinema is immeasurable. And in a town uh, where youth is venerated and uh, um, things happen uh, sometimes not in the most kind way, how do I put it uh, gingerly without using profanity here uh, at the Turner Classic Movie Festival? Holy fucking kittens is my... (laughs) For instance, at the Oscars this year, you may have noticed they had a tribute section, and it was in drawings. Uh, When you have a motion picture tribute during a show honoring motion pictures, I think it behooves you to use some cinema occasionally. (laughs) You don't don't really go to the caricature conference uh, when the caricaturists are having their massive award show and show a movie. Uh... Uh, and th- this town can be cruel uh, to people who, um, what is it called? Um, get older. And because here no one gets older, they just get tighter. <laughs> until everyone has the same Joker rictus etched upon their face until the end of time. Um, what am I getting at? I'll tell you what I'm getting at. Um, they have, an, an, in this week, in the last, uh, what are we on? Day 17 now. This is the 450th Turner Classic Movie Festival. The festival started 325 years before cinema was invented in anticipation of how awesome the festival was going to be. In the last three days, I've seen Julie Anders, Christopher Plummer, Peter Fonda, and Sophia Loren. And uh, yeah, that's just for starters. You don't get that at every festival, and you don't get them celebrating uh, people of their caliber at every festival. Um, uh, Hollywood is, uh, you know, it can be a little bit um, indifferent uh, toward those who are majestic, and this is the festival that makes that right. Uh, And that's what I love about being here, and that's what I'm sure you guys love about being here, and that's what I love about um, being able to talk about this picture, thank you, in front of a crowd of people who are dedicated cineasts, uh, if not cinephiles, if not out-and-out freaks, uh, about motion pictures. Uh, I can't really go in front of a crowd that often and talk about uh, uh, Judy Holliday or or Myron Kaplan and have everybody nod sagely in assent. Um, As you know, uh, if you've seen Hangover 2 in this town, you're pretty much covered. Uh, 
as far as cinema goes. You know what I mean? If you've seen some of Sheila Booth's early work, then it's all good. Uh, and this is where we go deep, and that's uh, what I love about being here. First of all, uh, Julie Andrews looked absolutely stunning. Christopher Plummer, yeah. Christopher Plummer is hunky in every decade, and that's what makes him, yeah. I think he's over 80 now, and he was still kicking everyone's butt into the ground uh, and taking names. And then we were on the, uh, uh, on the interwebs this morning, my wife Jennifer and I. And my wife helps me collate the, uh, and collaborate and, uh, uh, and is my partner in all of these endeavors. And the Greg Proof Film Club that we do over at the Cinefamily, which we'll be doing uh, on April 6th, we'll be showing... Um, Raising Arizona by the Coen Brothers, uh, starring Nicolas Cage, which is a superb uh, comedy. Jennifer picked this film tonight, and uh, she picked that film as well. Uh, and uh, Christopher Plummer is just too good-looking, is the problem, really. Uh, he stands too tall. We were looking at the tabloids this morning, Jennifer and I, the British tabloids. And he was pictured, after he uh, did his Sound and Music tribute, going to Mr. Chow's in a limo. And I'm like, damn you to hell, Christopher Plummer. How can you be that big of a pimp? I mean... Is there not a limit on macking at any point? There's not. He has all his hair. He remembers everything. His teeth are fabulous. When he crossed his legs, it was like watching Doug Fairbanks Jr. light a cigarette. You just went, oh. It's everything that it needed to be. And Julie Andrews called him my love through the whole interview. Oh, yes, my love. And I was like, oh, my God. I started to cry a little bit. I bought myself flowers. It was really weird. It was emotional. I hadn't seen The Sound of Music since I was 10 years old, which was in... Um, 1997, and I hate you for laughing at that. I saw it with my mother when I was 10, and uh, uh, that was 45 years ago, and I hadn't seen it since then, and I'd forgotten a good deal of it. I did remember that it's one of the few musicals that has Nazis in it, and it's fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, do you date the Nazi? Do you not date the Nazi? And then when, when he is a Nazi, she's like, come on over, I'll still date you. And he's like, mm, I'm a little busy now. And you're like, yo, I forgot. We've got to build the Third Reich, the one that'll last forever. Um, and it also has uh, uh, people dancing on fountains and whatnot. And I had the privilege to meet Robert Wise. Uh, what does this have to do with Adam's rib? Just sit there. This is free. And when it comes out, you'll be able to download it for free and you'll hear yourself. You may want to identify your laughter, just to let people know. I know there's people from out of town here, but it doesn't seem like there's that many from out of town here tonight, judging by the cynical laughter we've heard so far. I'm not getting a big Oklahoma vibe. I'm getting more of a Silver Lake kind of vibe from some of the crowd here. Without the douchey hats and facial hair. But the point is this. If, uh, <laughs> when it comes out, uh, it'll be free and you can hear yourself. So you may want to identify your laughter. If you're from uh, out of uh, state, and you've not been to Hollywood before, uh, welcome. Yes, Hollywood Boulevard's always like this. No one's going to tell you that. It's never on the little preview thing that the airline shows. When you're in Hollywood, be sure to visit the place where people are killed relentlessly on a corner by junkies. Um, it's not relentlessly. It's sporadically. That's what makes it safe. This is what gives Hollywood its flavor. That's why it's different from where you're from. Uh, first of all, there's no large bodies of water nearby except for the uh, Pacific. Uh, and uh, the crystal, the reservoir that people run around and read scripts. And, well, no, a little more out of town than I thought. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I hadn't seen this sound of music in a long time. And uh, I cried. What can I tell you? I cried. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was beautiful. And having Julie Andrews there, because... When I was five years old, I went to see uh, Mary Poppins with my mom and dad. And uh, No, I went on my own. Just see me and my friends got it together. Uh, 
we stole some money from a piggy bank from a local kid, and uh, we, we bought some, uh, uh, you know, uh, milk, milk duds. The ones we used to eat when I was little at the movie theater were the Red Hots that came in a, uh, they were cinnamon, and they came in a box, and it had a glassine, plasticine cover on the box, right? The box wasn't fully cardboard on the top. So if you blew in it, it made a horrible noise. So you could go, like that, which every child in the theater would do. First of all, you'd load your mouth up with the cinnamon balls and then just bup, 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 fire them at the screen, followed by the whole time. That's all I remember from seeing Dr. Doolittle. Uh, you only live twice. Every movie of my childhood was all I can remember being hit in the head by cinnamon pellets and the noise of uh, uh, the Red Hot's um, candy box, which was awesome. And then, of course, there was Jujubees and Juju Fruits. Now, I always liked Juju Fruits because they were kind of friendly. You know, uh, the lemon tasted yellow. Uh, I don't know what the green one was supposed to be. I think the red one was cherry, but it had the fake cherry taste that we're all used to in fake cherry. Everyone's familiar with what fake cherry tastes like. It doesn't taste like cherry, but when you eat it, you're like, if it's off, you're like, this doesn't taste like the fake cherry I like. <laughs> but jujubees were little uh, uh, kind of disc, I don't know, they, how do you describe their shape? They were like little hockey pucks that were extended and they had a convex top. And they t to me, they tasted like soap. I don't know, some people have that weird gene where they can't taste cilantro. Uh, like, I love cilantro. I, I, I think I was born to Vietnamese Mexican parents and I was airlifted into the white suburb I grew up in. And, but I know several people who go like, I hate cilantro. And you're like, how do you hate cilantro? That's like hating, you know, air. And they're like, it tastes like soap to me. So I think there's some weird genetic defect uh, in people who don't like cilantro, they're, they're less than human, they're not as good a person as you are, and they can't taste cilantro in all its glory. And that's how jujubees tasted to me. So I have that going on. It didn't taste like cilantro, it just tasted soapy. And then if you had any fillings in your mouth, a jujubee was the quickest way to extricate one from your mouth. A dentist could never do it as quickly as a jujubee could, because all you had to do was bite down gently, and then you were like, and you had to have all your friends gather around you and pull your mouth apart like that, and then the filling would pop out, and then you'd stay for the movie anyway. And in those days, no one drank water. This is the 60s and early 70s. We drank soda pop out of a, of a, 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 a paper glass, and, and we would just suck it down into the um, hole so that it would help uh, the teeth build back up. <laughs> what was the one that was um, the black, that was the milk duds, and those were chewy, but there was one called a, a black cow, was it? That, that was a long, hard one that like if you were, it, I think it was Blaine Capach, the comedian who said, if you were driving and you had one in your mouth, you might as well be practicing the clarinet when the airbag went off. <laughs> because they were harsh. Go right back into your glottis. Uh, we went and saw Sophia Loren today. And that's what I love about this festival most of all. You really don't get a chance to see Sophia Loren at any point in your life. I haven't so far. And I get around. Uh, I mean, not to the places where she hangs out, because I wouldn't know where to go, but I assume there's places where Sophia Loren hangs out and that they smell like uh, periwinkle blossoms and, and there's an, a breeze that wafts through that's intoxicating and then, uh, and then all the shutters open up at the same time and millions of, uh, of sexy Italian people come out and they have uh, decolletage and everyone starts singing and shit. Uh, that's what I presume the places that Sophia Loren hangs out are like. I hope they are. She was everything I dreamed of and more. My wife and I went and uh, her son... Uh, um, interviewed her. I don't think she knows her son's name. And uh, <laughs> no one does. It, it, it's not that important. Uh, the, everyone's named Carlo in her life. In any case, um, uh, she came out and she had 
stunning legs, and, and her figure was still off the charts. And through the, through the interview, she was rubbing her legs, right, and like wiggling her toes. Not that I noticed. And she uncrossed and crossed her legs a few times, and we all were like, oh my God, we've just seen the source of the Amazon. This is where everything on earth came from. You know what I mean? She's that important, and she's that visceral, and, uh, uh, and that vital to earth's existence. And... Um, you know, I, I, it was, it was su- superb. She had tinted shades on, and she said that she loved uh, family more than being a movie star. And I was like, that is so brave. <laughs> I have a family, but if I was a movie star of her caliber, mm, <laughs> I would like being a movie star more than my family. There's only so many times you can visit Arizona. You know what I'm saying? I mean... You can be as sentimental as you like, but you know it's true. Girl, you know it's true. <laughs> she was absolutely superb. And had on white sandal kind of, uh, not clogs, but uh, like cork-heeled, you know, sort of mules. And my wife went, did she get those or Naples or us? It was a real weird choice. The color was pretty wild. Uh, you don't see white shoes like that uh, unless you're going dancing in a pub in Newcastle in the winter. Thank you. That was for nobody. Now... <laughs> Scott was excited that this is my last year. Uh, what I'm excited about is that all of you have turned up uh, tonight because I couldn't be more chuffed. We're going to start the show. We really are any second now. Uh, we're up against uh, William Friedkin, who's showing French Connection, which is off the chain uh, good cinema. Uh, Sherry Lansing is showing enterta- uh, entertainment, imitation of li- entertainment of life. It's a remake I made where instead of it being a conflict between a girl who isn't sure whether she's black or white, it's just fun. It's called Entertainment of Life. Look for it in two years' time. It'll be right after Hangover 17. Fast and Furious 45. Get, get Hard 3. You know, I haven't seen Get Hard. I haven't read anything about it. I haven't uh, seen a preview. I've only seen the billboard. Here's my review. Boo. Boo. We made this movie. It was called The Skin Game with Ben Vereen and James Garner. Or it was Jeff Goldblum or whoever the hell was in it. Don't question me. Stop it. Uh, We're also up against the hand-cranked Melee's films. All the -the turn-of-the-century films are being shown at this very moment, hand-cranked like they were in the old days. I'm not certain if they made everybody pay a nickel and everybody that's attending this screening is an immigrant smoking a cigar wearing a battered hat. But if I had my way, that's what we would be doing. If you're going to show Nickelodeon movies, um, I think people get to spit on the floor. And the piano player has to run for their life at one point. That's how I would show a Nickelodeon movie. You call this a movie? This is nothing! You know, the people, that would be the people in the crowd. They're from indeterminate places in Middle Europe. That's why the Nickelodeon was so popular. You didn't have to speak English. And and, uh, we're also up against uh, Robert Morse is presenting uh, The Loved One, I believe, at the same... Isn't that... Well, no one's going to answer me. But yes, I believe he is. And I would do anything uh, to just stand in line to to be near Robert Morse's shadow uh, because that's how unbelievably awesome he is. And that's the kind of majesty you get at this festival. I urge everyone within the sound of my voice, and I I include you, of course, but I include the people who will be listening later on their earbuds while they jog through a perfectly sculpted park in their white suburb or... Make tea uh, for their family before they decide that they want to quit their family and become a pirate. (laughs) I have my own sponsor. It's called Vodka. And uh, I want to thank Vodka for... 
I want to thank Vodka for being the Orinoco River that takes me to the source of funny and uh, on the wings of the gods. Vodka was created. The Earth had flown too far out of its orbit when Vodka arrived from outer space to make humanity coalesce again and all of us understand each other a little better than we once did. I'm going to run through a short list here of people I've seen at the festival in the last three years. And this is what I mean about venerating uh, people who are over what we would call movie star age. Uh, Christopher Homer, Sophia Loren, Max von Sydow, Thelma Schoonmacher was last year, Maureen O'Hara last year, uh, Peter Fonda, Norman Lloyd. Norman Lloyd's 100. He's given 1,000 talks. I've seen him speak. He bounded onto the stage. He has more energy than I do. Norman Lloyd remembers everything about everything he ever did. I think his first movie was in... Um, 1400s. It was a magic lantern show. They were doing it for King John of France, and that was when the English invaded, and he was with Joan of Arc's army. And it was, but he remembers all of it. I can't remember my nephew's names. And I don't care. That's the part that makes me perfect for this town. Family is so important to me. All of my grandchildren, whatever their names are, I love them. I love them. They are so beautiful, except for that one. Oh, always with the... Stop crying, you baby. <laughs> Maureen O'Hara was last year, and she was um, unbelievably beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And I think watching her clip reel, I was more excited than I was about almost any actress I've ever seen. First of all, she's sword fighting. Then she's a mom. Then she walks down the hallway and lights a smoke. Then she gets dumped into a barrel in a John Wayne movie. And my wife and I were like, oh, my God. She is swinging the biggest female member since Hillary Clinton. I mean, Wow. <laughs> Marina Hur got it done. Yesterday, Peter Fonda, we saw him speak. Exceptional. Uh, he was emotional. He was honest. He was everything that the movies aren't. And uh, Hollywood. Uh, and it was fantastic. Uh, Norman Lloyd. Uh, Kim Novak last year. We're on the red carpet. And uh, uh, of course, because I'm, look at me. And uh, who doesn't want to take a picture? Let him look. Um, and Kim Novak pitched up next to us. And she was wearing black jeans and this top. And she had her hands in her waist like this. And I go, hi, Kim Novak. She's like, hi. <laughs> and my wife says, yeah, the weather, something, something. And Kim Novak goes, yeah, that's all anybody talks about in this town. And I was like, I have to go now. I need some quiet, alone moments. There are more hot people over the age of something here than you'll ever find in one room. If I could have a Metamucil Viagra orgy in this place, and be, by, the one, I'm, by the way, I'm the one taking both of those. The people over 70 at this festival rock all night long. Last year at the party, I had to split because I was tired. And as I was leaving, Albert Maisel and George Chakiris walked into the party. Bursting with energy. And I'm like, I'll see you guys later. They're like, hey, whatever, punk. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's in the water, but it works. Uh, in any case, moving on, I want to talk about the movie ever so briefly. Garson Kanan and Ruth Gordon um, put this picture together. They also wrote Pat and Mike, the other fabulous Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie. They were good friends uh, with Spencer and Catherine. Garson Kanan directed Spencer Tracy in a Broadway play by Robert Sherwood after Spencer had been having kind of a low point in the late 40s. And uh, he hadn't been on stage in a long time. And evidently, he fought Garson Kanan every step of the way. And the play closed, like, after 80 shows. And Spencer Tracy went, you know, when you're making a picture, it's new every day. But I had to say the same goddamn lines every night. And you're like, wow. That's a tough customer, baby. Um, it's a play. <laughs> 
You don't get to go, cut! I'm going to go over here and have some coffee. Uh, this, this is what Ruth Gordon said. Now, Ruth Gordon was born in the 19th century. Um, she's in Abe Lincoln in Illinois uh, with Raymond Massey from, like, I don't know, what, 40? Then she made a couple more pictures in the 40s, then didn't make another picture for 25 years. Then she was in Inside Daisy Clover with Robert Redford and Natalie Wood, yeah, which is a, a sensationally uh, turgid Hollywood classic. And then uh, a couple of years after that, she won the Oscar for Rosemary's Baby. And this is what... Uh, Ruth Gordon had been in a thousand plays. Uh, she'd written plays. Uh, she'd written screenplays. She'd had an illustrious career in the theater and film. Uh, when she won the Oscar, this is what she said... Um, I can't tell you how encouraging a thing like this is. She was 72 years old when she won. The first film that I was ever in was in 1915. And here we are, and it's 1969. Actually, I don't know why it took so long. Though I don't think, you know, that I'm backward. Anyway, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Roman. And thank you, Mia. And thank all of you who voted for me. And all of you who didn't, please excuse me. Yeah. You should watch it. It's on YouTube, and it's a fantastic speech. Uh, they're so clever and witty. And the thing that distinguishes uh, Ruth Gordon and Garson Kanan uh, from many other uh, film writing teams or from uh, screenwriters in general is they didn't do adaptations. They don't do novels. They don't do adapted work. Um, all, everything they wrote was originally thought of by them and put to the screen by them, including this fine motion picture. Judy Holliday... Uh, was plucked to do Born Yesterday, which Garson Kanan wrote while he was uh, serving in World War II and making a picture uh, with uh, someone whose name I've forgotten. He made a World War II picture uh, about uh, Eisenhower's invasion and whatnot. In any case, Judy Holliday uh, changed her name to Holliday. Uh, her name was Tuvim, but in Hebrew, Tuvim means holiday, basically. Uh, this is the part I wanted to talk about that was salient. Garson Kanan basically fought for her to get uh, this role in this picture, uh, Adam's Rib. Because the studio and Harry Cohen at Columbia didn't want to put her in Born Yesterday, even though she'd done it on Broadway for ages, because she was a bit pink for them, if you know what I'm saying. It was during the uh, communist scare, and uh, as you know, nothing has changed in Hollywood. Uh, now we've substituted the North Koreans, um, who evidently hacked into a movie so that it couldn't be released. Um, I love the idea that the North Koreans are so involved in Seth Rogen's career <laughs> that... <laughs> If there's one thing you want to take care of when you're a dictator, it's, it's looking after James Franco. You don't want to let that get out of hand at any point. Um, Judy Holliday, uh, let's see here. The Holliday's performance was a critical sensation. Uh, Columbia Pictures had bought the film rights to Born Yesterday. They refused to consider casting her. Reports, uh, this is what Kanan said in his book. Uh, he wrote a book about uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy conspired with him and Kukor to boost uh, Judy Holiday by giving her a key part in this picture. The reviews praised her performance so highly, and the gossip columns, thanks to Hepburn, shone so much limelight. Columbia surrendered and gave her the born yesterday. She won the Academy Award and the Golden Globe and beat out Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard and Betty Davis for All About Eve for a comedy. Uh, yeah, I offer you that that's quite an accomplishment. Um, you, how many actresses can you think of that have won for a comedy? Uh, as you know, one of the keys to winning as an actress is to be a beautiful actress and then wear a funny nose or have fake teeth or something. Uh, just as it is for an actor, all of a sudden you're, 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 you're mentally disabled or you have a bad haircut, and that's acting. Um, thank you. The crowd's gone a little quiet here, but you know what I'm driving at. <laughs> Diane Keaton won for Annie Hall. And it's very... 
I'm very hard-pressed to think of that many actresses that win for comedies. Every once in a while, an actress will win for a musical like Liza Minnelli and Cabaret. But Cabaret also had a great deal of drama in it as well. Uh, well done, Garson Kanan and Spencer Tracy and, and Ruth Gordon and all of them for getting Judy Holliday to do this. Um, Kukor uh, directed this picture, but Garson Kanan, yeah, and Kukor is, of course, immortal. And uh, let's see here. The screwball comedy, the domestic thriller, the literary adaptation, legendary director of actresses, Greta Garbo, Catherine Hepburn, Joan Crawford, Judy Garland, and, of course, the beginning of Gone with the Wind, uh, Vivian Lee, and all that. Um, here's what Kukor said. Anyone who looked at something special in a very original way makes you see it in that way forever. And he certainly had that gift. Um, Kanan always felt like directors get too much credit in so much as it was George Kukor's uh, Adam's Rib, even though him and Ruth wrote it uh, and got George to direct it. The interesting thing about Carson Kanan is, last year we introduced Bachelor Mother, which is a fantastically feminist movie, uh, uh, with the extraordinary Ginger Rogers, who... uh, might be, in my opinion, one of the most underrated actresses of the, of the golden era. Um, she's every bit the dramatic actress that Barbara Stanwyck is. She's every bit the comedian uh, that uh, Lucille Ball or, or, or Irene Dunn is. She's every bit the dancer that Fred Astaire is. There's really nothing Ginger Rogers couldn't do. Uh, maybe juggle, uh, although oh, if you watch her in, uh, 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 oh golly, what's the Carrie monkey business with Cary Grant? She puts a glass on her head and slides all the way to the floor, and she's somewhat like 40 or 50 years old at that point, and you're like, um, <laughs> Garson Kanan directed that movie, and it's a wonderful feminist uh, picture, and uh, he's the only director I can think of who basically gave up directing to become a writer. After that, he's mostly a screenwriter. He directed again on Broadway, uh, notably, of course, Born Yesterday and uh, Funny Girl, uh, the the stage version, absolutely, which ran for zillions of performances on Broadway. Uh, But most um, screenwriters become directors. Uh, Your Horton Foote, your Robert Town, your your whoever you can think of, uh, 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 Marshall Brickman, whoever you want to say. But uh, he actually stopped directing and became a screenwriter and, of course, a very fantastic one at that. Um, I wanted to read a couple of quotes from Ruth Gordon and uh, Garson Kanan, and then we'll start this movie. Uh, Jennifer pulled these for me, and I think they say everything about uh, the joie de vivre and humanity. Um, This picture is a picture uh, about men and women, and the roles they played, of course, in 1949, and the roles they play eternally. It's also a movie about um, the relationships between men and women. And in this age, where we understand and we're a little more evolved, and there's a a greater sensitivity to what women have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. For instance, none of the men here, when they were walking down Hollywood Boulevard today, I'm certain that no woman came up to you at any point and went, smile, you look too hot in that flannel shirt to not be smiling. (laughs) Nice package, you delivering that for UPS? Hello, you know what I mean? This is women's lot every day, everywhere they go at all times. Uh, this movie presumes to understand that. Uh, when it came out in 1949, the New York Times thought it was fluffy, but thought it was very good fluff. We, I think in retrospect, watching it again here tonight, with the vantage of hindsight, uh, will find it cogent. Myron Kaplan uh, plays the court reporter in this movie, and uh, two years ago he was at the festival, and my wife and I were driving down Hollywood Boulevard, and he was rolling in front of the Egyptian in a wheelchair, and we yelled out, Myron, and he was like, what up, like that. Um, He's still around, and he's still fabulous. 
Catherine Hepburn got him the part in this picture because she'd done a stage play with him. These are the quotes I wanted to read to you, and then we'll push on into this movie. Uh, if I had the time, of course, I'd go on and on about feminism and like that, but I think this movie's going to say a lot. As Garson Kanan says, when the work does the talking for you, uh, well, um, don't interrupt it. Ruth Gordon said this, and this is a very fantastic Hollywood quote, the great have no friends, they merely know a lot of people. And this one might be my favorite quote of Ruth Gordon's ever, aside from all the other ones that she ever said. (laughs) Never give up. And never, under any circumstances, no matter what, never face the facts. (laughs) That is tremendous advice. Uh, And this is what we'll end on, and then uh, we'll, we'll start the picture Uh, right away. And thank you very much for your kind attention tonight. Uh, You've been lovely. I hope if you live here, you can come and join us at the next Greg Poops Film Club. I'm sorry I cursed. Uh, (laughs) Julie Andrews didn't swear. But if she had, I think I might have become sexually excited. Garson Kinnan, of course, wrote Born Yesterday and a lot of vehicles for uh, Judy Holliday. Uh, Judy Holliday played a dumb blonde, and when she did go in front of the House on American Activities Committee, she played that part to the hilt, and it saved her career in a lot of ways. And she has said herself, you have to be very smart to play as dumb as I play. Garson Cannon, of course, had no truck with the unintelligent. The thing about this picture, the thing about all of the pictures that Ruth Gordon and Garson Cannon wrote, the thing about them in general, and of course George Cukor and Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, the high level that we're talking about here of every single individual involved with this picture, the amazing talent and uh, uh, forthrightness brought to bear, um, wit and imagination, uh, adult situations uh, that don't speak down uh, to us, but rather uh, cause us to think and cogitate on our own philosophies. This is the type of erudite, erudition that they were able to bring in a very... Uh, accessible and wonderful way to the screen. Something that I feel um, has gone by the wayside in some ways, particularly in mainstream Hollywood pictures, not so much in the independent and foreign cinema, but uh, mainstream Hollywood pictures uh, are not about what they were about uh, some time ago. And Garson Kanan has a plaque across from the New York Public Library with a line from Born Yesterday in it, and then we will start the picture. And this is Garson Kanan's line. I want everyone to be smart, as smart as they can be. A world of ignorant people is too dangerous to live in. I give you the 1949 comedy classic by George Cukor, written by Kanan and Gordon. Adam's Rib, and I thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and I thank the Turner Classic Movie Festival, and particularly Scott McGee.